Welcome back to the PFC Podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC Podcast. This is Dennis and today I'm talking with Doug about patient positioning and oxygenation. Enjoy the podcast. In the last podcast, you know, you had mentioned proning. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can you walk me through how does it actually work? Absolutely. Um, so, prone ventilation is a technique that has been studied to improve oxygenation. So doesn't improve the removal of carbon dioxide. It improves the delivery of oxygen, right? And the, 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 so, you know, we talked about evidence-based medicine in the last, in a recent podcast, the, and needing a hypothesis to generate any studies. So the hypothesis for proning is if we can get more alveoli that are not participating in oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange to participate in carbon dioxide exchange and oxygen exchange, we can improve, um, we can improve oxygenation, right? And this is, this is well known. This is the basis of many, many techniques in, ven- in ventilator management to improve oxygenation. It's called recruitment. We've got alveoli that are stuck together, um, because of atelectasis, because, uh, or, um, or, or there's filled with something because of pulmonary edema or pneumonia or ARDS, which is basically protein deposits from an inflammatory response that's damaged the inside of the alveoli. Um, if we can get more of them recruited into gas exchange, we can improve gas exchange. Um, and that's, you know, that, uh, great example of that is, you know, increasing PEEP. If you apply more pressure gradually and slowly over time, that positive pressure will open up alveoli, drive, potentially drive fluid in the alveoli back into the capillaries outside the alveoli and improve gas exchange. That's PEEP, it's recruitment maneuvers, that's it. Well, proning is the same idea. And the idea is that if you're lying on your back, the lower lobes of the lung, which are closest to the ground and therefore most affected by gravity of stuff that's on top of them, um, will now be higher, less compressed, more able to open up and um, exchange gas and improve oxygenation. That's one thing. Um, and I should say that the lower lobes of the lungs are larger in surface area than the upper lobes. Right, so the posterior aspect versus the anterior aspect. Right. Um, so you're getting more lung, less affected by gravity, opening up. The second thing is, on the left lower lobe, you are taking out a significant portion of its um, uh, gas exchange because the heart is sitting over it and compressing it. So if you now put the heart down um, toward the table, not compressing that upper aspect of the left upper lobe and the left lower lobe. Again, you you create more um, alveoli um, that are you recruit more alveoli. That so that's the physiologic principle. 
what the New England Journal study did, and I'll give you the references and um, some images that I have on a quick talk that I did if we want to put them up yeah. on the website just so people can visually see this, um, as well as a link to a video that describes how to do the process safely. It's not complicated, but it, if you watch a video, it, it, it may be helpful. Yeah. Um, what the New England Journal study showed was what we all know is that alveolar recruitment takes time. It's easy to blow off carbon dioxide. It's tough to open up stuck alveoli or push fluid in the alveoli back into the capillaries. So we talk about being able to improve somebody's ventilation within an hour um, if their CO2 is really high and we just increase their tidal volume or breathe more quickly for them. We talk about improving people's oxygenation over hours to potentially overnight to potentially days if their alveoli are really, really compromised by the stickiest of all substances, which is the protein that accumulates in the alveoli in ARDS. And so what the New England Journal proning study said was, well, we know it takes time to open up alveoli, so maybe we just need to prone longer. And that's what they did. Previous studies looking at, you know, shorter periods of time, hours still, but not, you know, upwards of a day, not more than half a day. And they're like, we have our minimum of 16 hours. We're going to leave people prone based on this principle that it takes time to recruit the alveoli and lo and behold, they got a result, you know, the oxygenation improved, survival improved, you know, duration of ventilation improved. They were, they were ventilated shorter and they got out of the ICU faster. So, and so again, you have your hypothesis, basing your hypothesis on physiology is, is one of the things we look for. It's like, is this realistic physiology? They, they based it on an analysis of physiology and they got a good result. Right. That really translates to the field because you don't need any fancy equipment for it. Yeah. Now, how does proning, just because when you look at you know normal respiratory function in, in mammals, we are built to either be upright or in the prone position mm -hmm. to for optimum uh, ventilation. Mm -hmm. How does proning versus just having a patient sit up? Is there is there a difference? I mean, some obviously you cannot sit up, right. but um, I know when you do sit up a patient who is hypotensive, mm -hmm. his blood pressure is going to go down. Right. Um, do you have any kind of exacerbations with that, with proning? The only thing I would caution people on when they prone is that if you have a patient who is under-resuscitated or tenuously resuscitated, that as you move through um, the body's change of position from being supine in the back to 90 degrees on the side to prone chest down, which is the progression, and I'll talk a little bit more about how we do this, um, that the fluid shifts in the great vessels, the aorta, the inferior vena cava, can cause um, you know some transient drops in blood pressure. Okay. And, and when I had this case, you know, with the roll three in the field, I cautioned them. I was like, you may see a, a temporary drop in blood pressure. You may need to support it with a bolus. You may need to support it with a shot of epinephrine, but it will pass once the blood reequilibrates in the new position of the heart and the great vessels. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, in an extreme case, if they're under resuscitated, you could have a fluid shift that's great enough for them to code and become pulseless. And so ideally, 
you want to prone somebody that is not that tenuously resuscitated. Right. That, that's a little bit more stable. But I think, you know, if you are, if, you know, resuscitation is ongoing. Right. I probably, that wouldn't be my first thought is to prone somebody for right. oxygenation. It'd be more establishing an airway, getting fluids in. Okay. Right. Yes, I do have air going in and out and now my fluids are in. Okay. Now I can start focusing on optimizing. I would, that's what I would think anyway. And, and you raise a really good point. You know, where does proning fit into my continuum of care for this critical patient? It is not a resuscitation, immediate resuscitation technique. You know, you're going to get your airway in, bag them with a peep valve or put them on mechanical ventilation with a peep valve, start resuscitating them, giving them blood if it's, if it's trauma, giving them fluids if it's sepsis. Um, and you will get to proning you know, hours to days in, because mm-hmm. that's when usually this severe hypoxia takes to develop. A- a- people generally don't come to you in full-blown ARDS. It's an inflammatory response. It's mediated by the immune system. It takes time to develop the response, then it takes time for its effects to develop. And so like this guy, you know, I think he was 96 hours into his mm-hmm. care when he became this unstable from a respiratory standpoint. Um, and that's because you know, he aspirated, they knew he had an aspiration pneumonia. That irritation of the pneumonia probably caused a secondary ARDS, which then took time to develop, you know, the inflammatory response in the lungs. So, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours in, you know, I can't tell you, but it's not going to be something probably you have to deal with that way, right, right away. If they're that hypoxic immediately, it's probably because they blood loss or, you know, a, some traumatic injury to the lung or, or something. Um, you know, maybe a full-blown pneumonitis, but, you know, you should, your first thought shouldn't be proning. It should be airway, ventilator, PEEP. Basic res- large Right, thing. exactly right. Now, that being said, this isn't only a ARDS technique or a, you know, severe pneumonia technique of, of uh, reversing hypoxia. If I'm doing my basic things, you know, I've tried PEEP, I've started to go up on my PEEP, oh. um, and I'm starting to... Hit the hit the edge on things. Is there any end? You know, resuscitation. Let's just assume that is done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm trying to optimize oxygenation. You know, just because it's you know two hours in or three hours in, is that a reason to not try proning? No. And uh, you know, now we get back to our evidence-based medicine podcast and you know context, right? So, um, first off, proning has only been studied in ARDS patients. It hasn't been studied in trauma patients. It hasn't been studied in patients with heart failure and, and or pulmonary edema or trolley uh, or talk, you know, transfusion-associated circulatory overload, any me- method. It hasn't been studied in pneumonia. But what we very frequently do with literature is we extrapolate the technique that's been studied for one condition, so proning for ARDS, or proning for hypoxic respiratory failure due to ARDS to hypoxic respiratory failure for something else, especially if we don't have any more tools in our toolbox, right? So you're a medic, you're in pre-hospital environment, you've got a PEEP valve and, you know, a 731 and you're maxed out for whatever reason. Um, you know, first off, make sure you don't have a mechanical problem going on. Right. Is there, is there a hemothorax? Is there a pneumothorax that he needs a procedure for? If the, if that's the case, not the case, and it's either pneumonia, 
pulmonary edema or ARDS, then sure, try proning at, at whatever point if you're really running out of Schlitz with everything else. Right. The other thing, too, is, you know, it's in terms of context, something that I talk about all the time, which is, you know, Voltaire, the French philosopher, saying that perfect is the enemy of good. You know, if your patient, you know, how hypoxic is your patient? If your hypoxic is 85, 86, not ideal, but slowly improving, don't prone him. You know, keep your peep up. And those alveoli will slowly open up and you'll get to, you know, 87, 88. You know, if you're at 88 and stable, that's fine. We keep people at 88 stable in the hospital all the time. I probably would keep him at 85 and stable. Right. Um, as long as he was stable. If he's getting worse, if he's in the 70s and, and you're throwing everything at him and he's not getting better, okay. Right. But that, that's what I was, in my head anyway, I'm thinking, you know, because I've been there where you're just, I'm just running out of magic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm running out of the brilliant thoughts coming out of my head of how to fix this person. I've got like two straws left. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them is give up. So I'm not going to do that. Is there any reason to not try it? You know, um, I always, how about this? So does he need, in order to prone somebody, does he need an, a cuffed airway to do that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He needs a cuffed airway anyway to optimize oxygenation because if it's uncuffed and uh-huh. you're putting in a ton of peep, you're going to be getting some back pressure that's not transmitting all of that peep to the alveoli and you're going to lose some recruitment. Okay. So no, I mean, I mean, so, just somebody's spontaneously breathing. Is he? And for whatever reason, I can't just sit the guy up. Mm. Okay, so now we're getting starting to go down a rabbit hole, and I'm try to end quickly. But you know, as opposed to just sitting him up, he's breathing spontaneously, mm-hmm. and I can lean his head to the side so he can breathe mm. openly. You know, is just in that position, is it better for oxygenation versus sitting on his back? You know, we don't have any great hospital data for upright ventilation. Um, and so I can't give you a good answer on that based on the evidence. We just don't do it. Um, you know, we sit people up who have a lot of pulmonary edema from from uh, heart failure uh, if they're spontaneously breathing, but if they go into respiratory failure and we intubate them, we lie them down and put them at 30 degrees like everybody else. Is that the right thing to do? Potentially not. Um, The only real contraindication to proning I could think of is, um, you know, you have some sort of wounds on the chest or the abdomen that would prevent them from being um, laid front side down right um or you needed access or you yeah um but you know a chest tube comes out the side so that's not a big deal but you know if he's got his chest blown open and he's got a bunch of wound packing in there and he's going to need a new medium steinum you know there's one um obviously an open belly would be a relative contraindication although you may be able to get them in position um uh, just make sure you don't need to access, you can, right. you know, your drains are accessible, that type of stuff. Facial injuries, you know, if they're both bilateral. So important point is in proning, the lungs need to be down. The face doesn't need to be down. Mm-hmm. So if they have, a re- if they have to be in, in C-spine stability, okay, that's a reason. But otherwise we just turn their head to one side or the other, kind of like you do when you're sleeping yeah. stomach down on your pillow every night. Um, 
if you do need to be in seat sign precautions, you know, you can get some pillows um, to kind of make a cradle for their face and upper chest and kind of, you know, put them at a, like a, you know, 15, 20 degree angle uh, with their face down in, in, in C-spine stabilization. Okay. Um, so, you know, you can think of an exception to every rule. I think right. at that point, you know, you either give me a call on telemedicine, say you can't do it, or, or try to do some improvising. But right. in general, most patients can be calm. I'm just trying to tease out some basic principles of, you know, yes, they have to have a cuffed airway. Um, you've tried PEEP and you've exhausted it. You know, you've, you've tried these other interventions. Okay, this is the next one. And by trying PEEP, I mean like you've tried like 20 or PEEP or 25 right. of PEEP, like, like max legitimate max PEEP. Right, and then this is something else. The Getting them in position isn't really that difficult. Um, I'll put a link to a video that you can see. Uh, I'll give you that and put it on the website. Um, but you basically get a couple people on a patient's side, one at the head managing the airway and the neck for stability. You draw them over to the side of the bed or the side of the litter um, first. You then put them up at 90 degrees as closely to the side of the litter as you can. Um, and then you draw them further toward the side of the litter. So when you move them up to 90 degrees, they're going to move inboard a little bit. Now you draw them the downside with them at 90 degrees and their head being held stable over to the side of the litter or the bed. And then you just gently lay them down um, either supporting the head in line if they're in seat spine precautions or just turning the head gently to one side, you know, keeping mind of the tracheal tube or the, the crike or the endotracheal tube while you do it. And you leave them there. Um, you leave them there for 16 hours or more, um, probably no more than 24 before you give them a break on their back. You still do all your basic nursing uh, and patient care stuff with turning and cribbing, et cetera, to reduce pressure ulcers. You know, you can still rotate them, you know, 15 degrees up on a side, 15 degrees down, pad between their pillow, pad the, um, pad the front of the pelvis because that'll be a new pressure point for them that they wouldn't have when they're lying on their back. Um, pad their head, same thing, the pressure ulcers on the head. Um, so you can still do all of that in the prone position, just like you would uh, if they're on their back. Um, as we were talking about peep, I, I had, one thought pop in my mind, a uh, technique um, that I learned at Mountain Pass of use, turning your peep all the way up mm-hmm. to 20. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to do your um, kind of a breath hold yeah. and then turning it back down. Uh-huh. Um, now, I know that you know a VLI are collapsed. Mm-hmm. It takes more pressure to keep them open. Mm-hmm. Um, just... Uh, one of the Laplace's law or some random person's name law mm-hmm. um, you know just like blowing up a balloon it's hardest when it's small mm-hmm. um, but you don't keep it at that high level of peep you are supposed to keep these alveoli from slapping closed mm-hmm. because whatever peep you were, had them at before wasn't able to keep them open so you turn it up all the way you open up the alveoli, or you hopefully recruit the alveoli, mm-hmm. and then you bring it halfway down. Mm-hmm. Or let's say he was at five, he went to twenty. Okay, so you bring it somewhere around ten, mm-hmm. and then you slowly wean it back down to where you know you're, you're getting, you're still getting good ventilation, but you're are maintaining the recruitment that you mm-hmm. have done. Um, could you 
kind of walk me through why that is? Well, what you're describing is something we call a recruitment maneuver, where you know you put a bunch of positive pressure into the the, the airway circuits of the lung, um, with the idea that that pressure is going to open up the most downstream aspects of the circuit, which are the bronchioles and the alveoli, that can easily that are, that are also the flimsiest in terms of tissues that surround them, and therefore the easiest to get stuck together by capillary forces, right? Um, and so we have capillary forces in normal lung, right? The surfactant that lines normal lung is a fluid and, um, and exerts capillary forces um, even in normal lung. That's, that's part of the reason that we have atelectasis even in patients... Uh, who don't have um, who don't have respiratory failure? Who don't have anything else? Those capillary forces get up when something is in the alveoli other than air, right? So, and what and those things could be, in order of increasing stickiness, mm-hmm. water, blood from diffuse alveolar hemorrhage is very rare, um, pus, and protein from areas, okay. right? So. We want, we have to have PEEP in ventilated normal lungs to overcome the, f- the forces of surfactant and gravity. And usually that five is enough to do it. PEEP of five centimeters of water is enough to do that. As the other stuff gets into air spaces in the lung that is stickier, you may need more PEEP because the capillary forces are harder to overcome. So that's where, you know, in ARDS, you may never be able to get below a 10 of PEEP until that process is resolved because how sticky that protein is. A recruitment maneuver says, well, I'm not getting there slowly by ratcheting up my PEEP from 0 to 5 and from 5 to 10 and from 10 to 12. And my patient is really hypoxic, like his, his PO2 is in the 70s and he's getting all sorts of alarms and he's tachycardic and he's unstable. I want to see if improving his oxygenation helps. Then what you do is you transmit a lot of pressure, say 30 to 40 centimeters of water of PEEP through a, you know, a reasonably controlled breath volume. So probably no more than a liter, you know. Um, um, and I, I misspoke earlier, by the way. I talked about 600 cc's per kilogram and 6 cc's per kilogram of ideal body weight in the Arginet study. So yeah, 6 yeah. to 8. 6 to 8. I said 600. But it gives you a breadth of like 600. Yeah. yeah. Um, or can. We should, re- we should redo that. <laughs> um, and, and so then you hold the lung open with this, let's say, 600 cc breath with 30 centimeters of water repeat and then you let it go um now if you're doing it with a manual bag then you would continue ventilating them at let's say 10 putting on a mechanical ventilator then you would take it back down to you know whatever you think you need it could be 10 it could be 15 it could be 20 whatever basically whatever doesn't set the alarm off right uh if they're really hypoxic and then and then you're just titrating down based on pressures and Pressures and oxygenation, right? So let's say, you know, you did a recruitment maneuver, you've done a bunch of recruitment maneuvers, and they need 20 a P to keep their oxygen saturation over 88%. And their SATs, when you do that, are like 88, 89, 90%. Well, as the LVLA open up, your oxygen saturation will go up. 
Right. So you'll have VM at 20 a peep, and then you'll notice their stats are going from 89 to 92, and then to 95, and then to 98. That's your indication that they don't need as much support. Then you can back off. Go right. down by 2, go down by 5, whatever. Okay. Never go below 5 as long as they're on mechanical right. ventilation. Um, um, but, yeah, that's yeah. how you do it. It's, oxygen saturation comes up, and it's in the mid to high 90s. Turn it down. They don't need as much support. Right. And be happy with oxygen saturations in the... In the low 90s is fine, unless they're a brain-injured patient, in which case you may want to run them in more than mid-90s. Right. Well, hey, thank you, Doug. That's, uh, you know, I really appreciate it when uh, you can come on and uh, enlighten uh, knuckleheads like me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me, Dennis, and uh, thanks for keeping me on my toes, and uh, appreciate appreciate the invitation. That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Out. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you.